Hey guys, thanks for stopping by the podcast today. Today we've got a special uh, two guests, Eric and Justin from The Score, an urban music education podcast. Eric and Justin, how are you guys? We're good. Justin, what's up? Right? How are you doing, bro? I'm good. I'm, I'm good. We're out of the, uh, the ice storm, and so uh, here we are. Very much out of it. We're 80 degrees today. <laughs> 80 degrees. Oh, boy. That's we right. are. Yeah, we're, 80. we're back to normal Texas weather. <laughs> yeah, we are 80 in Baton Rouge, so it is quite different than a week ago when it was 20. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, for our listeners who may not know much about the score, would you guys like to tell them a little bit about it? Kind of give them the pitch? Sure. Uh, so Justin and I actually had the fortunate ability to work together uh, when we were serving a school named Heights High School in uh, inner city Houston in the Houston Independent School District. And we got this idea of creating um, some positive um, solution-based narrative surrounding urban music education because when we would attend different conferences, we would see the lack. Uh, or if there was a conversation existing, it was not usually positive. It was filled with uh, stigmas and stereotypes and things that would probably discourage anybody from teaching in that context. And both he and I uh, being you know, black and brown gentlemen that have served a predominantly Latino community, we came in with some very uh, unique perspectives and unique opportunities to kind of share what's worked for us. Uh, and then from there, we kind of just kept growing the podcast to continue this positive field narrative uh, to try to showcase as many music educators throughout the country that are doing the similar things that we were able to do in Houston. So that's kind of the nuts and bolts of, of how it came about. And then Justin is like uh, the the what I actually talked to somebody the other day about uh, whether it's his ministry work or not, but it, it does influence the way we approach these conversations as well. So uh, we've been acknowledged for having a nuanced approach and an approach that people can come to the table that might not understand what we're talking about or have never had conversations relating to identity, race, or socioeconomic status. And we usually handle those conversations. I don't know if it's with care, but it's it's not with uh, with the intent or or malice intent behind it. Uh, and so, just recently, one of our most recent uh, uh, episodes that we talked about the gatekeeping, we've gotten a lot of comments about just the way we approach the conversation because uh, it can be at times um, just scary or uncomfortable to have some of the conversations that we have. Uh, but I do credit Justin's ministry work to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we just like like Eric said, I, I think we want to give obviously our thoughts and how we feel and what our experience of experiences have kind of brought us to in terms of our thought process. But we also want to be very honest and open about everybody else's experience. We cannot come in and sit at the table and say, this is what this is right and this is the way you should always do it. No, we just want to make sure that all voices are being heard and we can have an honest conversation about what has worked for us and how we can say that to other educators and give our inf- information to other educators not to take the same stance or even do it the exact same way but that they have a model that they can say hmm there's some pe- there's some pieces of what they're doing of how they're approaching things that I can bring into my context and flip and help work for my environment and so that's what we try to that's what we try to do uh, with each episode we try to be very honest and uh you know consistent with that Yeah, I think you guys do a great job with it. And specifically referencing the, I mean, most recent currently for us, but talking about the TMA um, presenter, the gatekeeping episode of the score, please, 
if you haven't listened already, go find it and listen to it because it really is a wonderful approach to how you're discussing that because yeah, is what the presenter put on the screen wrong? Yes, but there is that understanding that like when I was listening to it, my thoughts were I have taught in situations where that wasn't what I wanted to do, but I wasn't like the top dog at the school. So, you know, I like I was there. I couldn't necessarily change some of the things right. that were happening. Yeah. But there were some of those gatekeeping things that happen all the time. And in a lot of ways, that actually does play into today about what I wanted to talk about with you guys as far as music theory and the college level and other things like that to get your perspective on. So I thought it was a very timely discussion. Appreciate it, man. We, we, we are glad that you are listening and, and we, we pinching ourselves every day. We just I know that's right. figured out how to record some stuff and people are like, Hey, this is, this is vital. So, <laughs> so, um, jumping right into it. Um, unless Livia or Adam had any comments before we get into it. Did you guys have anything to say? Oh, that episode was really good. I agree. Appreciate it, man. <laughs> Yeah, good stuff. Um, I benched a few of y'all's episodes and I mean, I subscribed because it was excellent content and also coming from the music ed background. I haven't, you know, been teaching since I graduated, but, um, you know, aside from uh, at the university, but there was a lot of that concern, not as much on a um, race or identity level, but the socioeconomics of it, because uh, I was student teaching um, in rural Tennessee areas. And so there was a lot of kind of different approaches to how involved your students could be based on how many resources they had. Mm-hmm. So that was a conversation that we would have. So it was just, it's really awesome to hear people discussing it still and kind of coming back to it and thinking on that content. The first thing that I kind of want to get get into was what is uh, your background in theory coming from high school level into the college level? I got lucky. I was interested in composing in high school at an AP music theory class. And so I kind of had a leg up when I got to Mississippi State. And it was like, oh, first year of all my theory and oral skills classes. I know how to do this already. But what was it like for you guys? Uh, for me specifically, I, I, I'm kind of the uh, stereotypical model of a traditional band kid, um, meaning that we didn't get much theory. Um, so I, it, if it wasn't for jazz band, if it wasn't for my jazz band director in high school, his first year kicking off, I remember it was his first year teaching. He had just gotten his master's from UNT in jazz studies. Um, and so he literally didn't let us touch any charts and we had a theory class. We sat down with some some staff paper, and he was like, "Okay, here's a C major triad," and I mean, breaking it down to modes, to dominant scales, to minor pentatonics, and how that can fit over a dominant scale. I mean, th- he was breaking it down to the T. I'm in tenth grade, and I got three more years of this. I remember sitting there at tenth grade though, and I'm like, "What are you talking about?" Like, <laughs> it was. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm and I can credit myself. I'm like I'm I'm a kind of a smart dude, but this is some pretty tough stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I remember spring semester, uh, he let us finally get on a head chart, and then we had to perform a solo, and we had to create a solo from the material that we learned that fall semester. Then then we started doing charts, but now we had this ammunition. Now we had this. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of our top guys that ended up being region jazz players and going to be in the two o'clock band at UNT came from that high school band program because of that knowledge. And so that in itself, when I got to undergrad, 
I felt a lot more prepared than the traditional band student that didn't have that exposure to a jazz director like mine because I remember at Prairie View, they did some, you know, pretty basic fundamental entrance exam. And it was, and I remember him just even just talking about a minor chord sounds sad, a major chord sounds happy. And they played that and they're like, a diminished chord doesn't sound like either one of those, you know, and it sounds really sad. And so they played those and I, and I could recognize them just from him telling me that. It, like, mm -hmm. I didn't have to have that much exposure. So I do credit any and all my theory because what was crazy about that is because given like it's, it's his first year teaching, he didn't do any of that in the traditional wind band. He didn't do any of that in the marching band. He didn't do it in the concert mm -hmm. band. But in the jazz band, it was dump, 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 dump. And he would tell us, mm -hmm. hey, go ahead and try that minor second over that dominant seven and or the minor ninth. And you knew like, wait, wait, what? And so, um, but none of that was ever transferred. And I know he does a better job of it now because I know him and, and kept up with his career. But I know that's the experience of a lot of band students. So that's why I say I have a traditional stereotypical uh, experience with theory when it comes to that. Because outside of that, uh, anything music related was me DJing and hip hop and uh, mixing down. I was I was rapping with some of my friends in the, in the hood and stuff. And so that that side never came in other than knowing how to structure bars. And I remember I taught one of my friends how to rap because he was rapping past 16 bars. And I knew that reference because it was measures. And I was like, why are you doing 18 bars? It doesn't fit. And he wouldn't understand that. So I I had two different worlds going on, but anything kind of upper level theory was strictly jazz band. Maybe this is jumping ahead in our conversation, but I wanted to ask, like, do you think that it would have been better to have maybe more of a balance between like learning all the theory and then getting to apply it? Like would, would blending more of that have been helpful or was that like an eye-opening experience when you got to play, you were like, Oh, now I see why all this was taught. And like, like it was all worth it. Or do you think that it would have been better to like build up that experience at the same time? That's a good question, man. Because as an educator, I built it up at the same time. Yeah. Uh, so I, I did a hybrid of what he did. Um, mm -hmm. But but at the same time, I always allow and I and I recommend people to do what that what works best for them. Uh, so he had a vision, he had a plot and it worked because we were sweeping jazz festivals uh, the next two years <laughs> after that. Um, yeah. I, I can remember we played Giant Steps and our lead alto took the solo, but we stood up to take the first couple measures of John Coltrane's solo as a soli. And then we sat down and the lead alto stayed standing up and played Kenny Garrett's solo double time in Giant Steps. And we, what high school is doing that, you know? Yeah, yeah. But these are the kids that by our senior year that sat in that sophomore class like that, we were able to handle that kind of thing. And he didn't, he didn't dumb it down. He didn't diminish the approach. He didn't exclude. He didn't uh, put a cap on how much we should know at the high school level. It was like, cool, man, go transcribe this solo. <laughs> and and he would be that that open. But when I got to high school, I also saw uh, the demands of the job, if you will. Um, so I walked in with Justin to a lot of programs that needed to be rebuilt or started from scratch. So I needed to put out a product right away. Yeah. Um, so I would <laughs> yeah. do a mixture of both. And there would be days where we would sit down and say, okay, let's describe how to solo specifically over this tune. Let's, let's, let's see the approach on this. Uh, but even before that, we would, in this fall semester, try to tell them about, uh, we really started pushing the Barry Harris method recently. 
to try to diminish the amount of information that is needed to identify and solo over a chord. So I've taken that approach both at the secondary and at the collegiate level, and it's worked. Uh, and I got that from my high school band director years later, where he was like, I should have taught you this way, by the way. <laughs> and so, and so um, but I'm appreciative of all that because I can understand the language and a conversation when it's happening with some of these collegiate jazz directors that are like, hey, you know, you should play the Lydian over that scale. And, you know, and so mm -hmm. being being aware of just even the, the the terminology, I'm appreciative of it. But now as an educator, I have done both simultaneously. Uh, that has allowed me um, to still put out a great product. And I guess, I, and I will say that the best one we had was when me and Justin teamed up because I'm usually the top director for the jazz band. Uh, and me and Justin shared the load on our last year at Heights High School. And we were we were smoking with that band. Uh, that <laughs> they were killer. Yeah, that that that. And then I think there was only like one or two seniors in that group, and these guys were swinging. That every mm -hmm. judge would tell us like, "Thank you for speaking the language," uh, and I credit that to to my high school director. But yeah, it has to be a mix of two because it can seem mundane. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Very like, boring. Let, me, let yeah. me put this to practice. And so, uh, mm -hmm. but yeah, I do both now. Gotcha. Yeah, I think for me, it came out of necessity and curiosity. So in middle school, there wasn't, I mean, I didn't get any of that. I mean, it was, you know, learn your scales, learn these rudiments. This is an upstroke. This is a, and this was like years before now, you know, in the middle school, high school level, there is a person solely dedicated to percussion. There's the percussion mm -hmm. director. The band directors are like, don't bring anything that has anything to do with beats and playing. Go to that random person over there and handle those things, right? And so this was this was during the you know the day and age where your band director would yell and be like hold the stick right and you know it's a bunch of us just just really bad kids at the back of the room but that's neither here nor there <laughs> so um, and you probably heard him and when I talk about on the score uh, I was already kind of playing drums and hearing you know chords and structures at church every Sunday you know I'm I'm sitting there next to the organ player the guitar player the pianist you know, the drummer and the bass player, and at times there was a saxophone player, right? And then I started playing drums and I started getting into that environment. And so from an early age, I wanted to play piano. I just, you know, we just didn't have, my mom didn't have a budget to pay for a lessons teacher and drums were just, I just took to that. I was on them, I was figuring it out. And so I got, I get into middle school, I go through that. When I get to high school, um, my band director, Mr. Taylor was like, you really need to get, um, you need to do better with your keyboard percussion. You need to up the ante on that, you know? And he was just like, you can do more. You're doing just enough. And so I really, I started, that's when I was, you know, I'd seen Prairie View. I'd watched all these different bands and heard these songs that my high school wasn't playing. And I was like, how do I do that? And I was like, I need to arrange, right? And so I went home, I, like my freshman year, I downloaded you know, uh, finale, like the, the temple, you know, like the temporary, you know, free package. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was already kind of making beats. I had got a keyboard in seventh grade and I was kind of teaching myself how by ear and just kind of learning. Um, and I was buying tapes from the dollar store and I would make beats like every weekend I would lock myself in my room and I had this, these two tape players and I'd put a tape in here and I'd dub a drum part and then I'd put that tape over here and I put a blank tape in the other one and I just you know I knew triads I, I could figure out a chord you know like C E G and then I was just kind of melodically taking what I learned on bells and putting them on, on different keys and creating different you know variations and things so I get to my my ninth grade year ninth tenth grade year and I'm experimenting I know all my scales I know all the key signatures and all of that 
And I started taking piano lessons from the minister of music at my church at the time. His name was Rod Wynn. He was a North Texas grad, piano major, and he was the minister of music. And so I, we had this music symposium at our church one summer, and they had these different tracks you could go down. You could go strings, you could go piano, you could go percussion, horn, vocal, or all of these different things. And so I did the drum route, and at the end of the symposium, they picked the top two students from each track. And so, of course, I got a chance to play drums, and I'm I'm like, this is it, this is it. I gotta go for everything <laughs> I know. So after that, um, my stepdad had just got on as a youth pastor at the church, and so I get an opportunity to start playing for the children's choir. Well, from that, I start playing for the youth choir, and then the young adult choir. Then the then I then big time. It's like Sunday morning, ten o'clock. The the church is packed. It's it's You're a big church now. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm I didn't made it. I've made it. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm doing this, and the the I credit Rod Wynn for it. He kind of took a liking to me, and he was like, "Man!" And so at that time, I was like, "Man, I want to take piano lessons." And so I started taking lessons. I'm in my ninth, my tenth grade, going into my tenth grade year, and so I'm learning like, oh, I'm connecting the dots. I'm like, oh. What I'm playing on mallets is the same thing I'm playing on my fingers. And then I started learning about transpositions because I was like, I want to write for the band. And so I just looked up those transpositions. I was like, what's the, tra like, you know, I was writing wrong ranges. And my, my, my band director was like, yeah, so trumpets can't play this. Uh, clarinets can't play this, right? <laughs> and so I'm going back to the drawing board. I got my keyboard. And so one of the songs that was really popular was uh, ESPN. And I, I could figure out, I figured out the bass line. Bump, 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 bump. Bump, 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 right? And so I got the bass line down, and then I could pick out the melody. But I didn't know what the chords were. But I was in piano, I was in my piano lessons, and I was learning, you know, all these handing exercises. I'm learning treble clef and bass clef. I'm getting into some formal stuff in my first few years, and then I'm learning chords. So Rob Wynn is teaching me how to read, but then at the same time, we have this book that he teaches. So we learn from our, our you know, very classical stuff. And then we're going into this book where he has every key, all naturals, all inharmonics, and he has these uh, transcription of chords. And he's he, he was like, one, this is the five, this is the six, this is the seven, the six is minor, all of this kind of stuff, right, in every key. And so he has it written in shorthand. And so in the lessons, I would do work through our scales, I would work through my hand and exercise, we talk about technique, and then he said, okay, I'm gonna go to key, I want you to go to key of A flat, I want you to play the six chord in A flat. So I would have had to stay at home and memorize, okay, A flat, six, mm -hmm. boom, boom, boom. And so then I started to, I'm, I'm sitting behind my piano. I'm like, how do I get ESP? I need the chords. I need somebody to be, because I'm hearing trombones playing these, these um, kind of durated, you know, they weren't playing any moving lines. They were playing these half notes and, and dotted halves. Mm -hmm. So I figured out, oh, if I play this chord on this bass and then the melody, oh, and when we switch to, and then I just started comparing the worlds. And so it wasn't the best, you know, still wasn't the best, um, comp, you know, piece. But we played it on Friday nights, and those pieces got played long after I graduated to the point <laughs> where, you know, my high school bender was like, you have lived on in this band hall for years because, of your <laughs> you know, and I'm listening to these pieces, and I'm just like, what was I thinking? But at the time, you know, I was like, oh, this piece is in C minor. I can use an E flat chord here. I can use this chord. And so I credit 
that but i was only learning theory from a church perspective right um mm-hmm. these were chords that were that were used in a lot of hymns you know i'm learning okay one four five okay i can use two five one as a turnaround i can use a flat five here i can use diminish so i was learning major minor diminish and then what i would call what what i was calling back then church chords these oh this is a church chord oh okay this is this chord you know what i'm saying just because i heard this on sunday i already knew where the, the preacher's doing this we're going to this chord and then i got introduced halfway through middle school or high school to the, the number system i was at different places and they were like hey we in a flat and i was like oh i know a flat there was like one hit the one okay it's five six flat five sharp seven let's go and i was catching all of these things so i'm going back to that binder and i that binder was my like i would listen to songs on the radio and to the point where i got patterns like i knew r&b songs were going to be based around like mostly minor keys right you're going to use the six you're going to you know and then i was kind of transcribing and like oh this is a church song but this chord that they used at church was used here that probably is not a good thing you know what i'm saying so it was just it was it was just so much and then sight singing and all the oral stuff was it was kind of second nature because that's what we did at church like you Mm -hmm. sang somebody sang something you sang it back call and response and so when i got to prayer view we had our normal little like entrance exam and I was like, Oh, I need to go to the lowest level. Cause they were already talking about all of this kind of like stuff that I hadn't really got into yet. And so my professor was like, Oh no, you'll do fine. Just take the entrance exam. So we're sitting on the entrance exam. It was like, what kind of chord is this? What change is this? I was like, Oh, that's minor. Oh, that's diminished. Is this ascending? And, and I'm looking around at people <laughs> that I thought were going to be like, they were like, I don't know what's happening. I was like, <laughs> okay and so <laughs> post the list for kids that need to go you know you need to enroll in this class if not you need to go to a fundamentals kind of class and my i'm like i'm i know i'm doing fundamentals they were like theory one i was like doc i don't know if i'm ready for theory <laughs> he was like you'll do fine and there were some moments of struggling and, and still a bunch of stuff that's still kind of over my head that i go back and review from time to time but it was it was definitely church and me just kind of forcing myself to write those songs that I was hearing uh, at the Labor Day Classic or the, you know, when I would watch uh, Grambling and Southern play on Thanksgiving, I was listening to, you know, I'm, I got my keyboard out and I'm listening to the halftime show and I'm just kind of picking out things. Then I'm learning songs and then, you know, eventually playing on Sundays, moving from drums to keyboard. Um, it was just, and it just became a shorthand for me. By the time I'm in college, now I'm just showing up to gigs and I'm learning songs and now I'm, I'm transcribing songs uh in my car on the way to a service because i don't oh i don't know this song let me let me listen to this okay that's one that's five that's six okay cool i know it right and so that that was that's really helped me that number system really came in close and then i didn't i didn't know i had no clue i just saw these chords on top of these bass notes right and he was like this is the chord this is the bass note you can match this chord here and then i started realizing like oh all of these keys intertwine if I'm in A mm-hmm. flat, I can use an A major. I can use an E major chord. You know what I'm saying? If I'm in A or you know all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that's that's what it was for me. Awesome. Yeah, no, that is awesome. So that's actually a good transition into the. Um, if you want to keep talking, Justin, about the next part of yeah. when you got to college, did you feel like it translated? It it sounds like that was the direction you were headed in, but then I guess also did you feel like there was more emphasis on music that wasn't your music? Um, so because I went to an HBCU and because I had professors that had a similar upbringing as me, right? So Dr. Cornelius, who was one of the theory teachers there and who's just, I mean, he's a genius in regards to those things. Um, he had a similar background, right? So he 
was growing up in church. He played at church. He was in band. He was trying to. Tr- he he told me a story once of him. He would go to Jackson State University games, and he would take trend. He would take um, music. You know notation paper and he would sit in the stands and during the halftime show he would be trying to transcribe different (laughs) lines that he heard and stuff like that and so when I got to college I didn't understand it in the classical sense yet I didn't that didn't make sense to me because the context that I was using it in was church create my own music and trying to write songs for the marching band I wasn't really I didn't really see the connection when we were doing wind ensemble stuff, right? I mean, I got it. I understood that there were chords there. I just didn't know the flow of how that worked out. So by the time I got to college and when we got into theory, it was just an extension. I think what my piano teacher was doing for me, which I I credit him to, and I hear a lot in what Eric was saying, you have to kind of take a, a look at the context you're teaching. He could have taught me all of the stuff that we were really getting into my freshman year at Prairie View, but that probably I probably would have got lost in that. You know, I think he gave me just enough to be able to piece together things where I, where I was reading. You know, I remember uh, getting a hymnal book and I was and I had like a this was like a wild gospel, <laughs> like the top gospel songs. And it was all the songs had been transcribed. And so in that book, it had the chord shorthand over the actual notation. And then in my right. hymn book, I found myself going in the hymn book and doing what I was learning in my theory classes, which was actually going through and writing, you know, one minor two diminished, you know, like, so I think when I got there, I had a base that, that helped me really start to pull things together. And then I had two worlds that I could see it in then. Cause once I got there, it only really, it was just church for me, you know, right. like when we got to wind ensemble, I was just, I played my timpani part. I played my mallet part or snare or whatever. But when I got to college, it started, oh, this, oh, okay, this is the same chord that I played in church, but it's just voice different with this string orchestra. Or it's voice different with these, you know, uh, when we got into part writing with vocals and all that kind of stuff. So, and that's that also kind of helped me too, because I was playing and I was learning parts, but then I was also having to kind of teach parts to the choir at my, at my church. And so I knew these chords and I was like, oh, well, the soprano is going to sing this. But that didn't really click to my, in my head until, you know, I had theory one. I was like, oh, these things all go together. That makes <laughs> sense. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, you should be singing here because it's the part of the game. You know what I'm saying? But before, I was just like, I'm playing the right stuff, but y'all sound bad. But whatever. <laughs> you know what I'm It just, I think it was a natural progression. And I don't know if I would have been as strong. And, and because I think in theory, a lot of people, and you guys can probably attest to this more than me and Eric, but people get, man, they give up on that stuff real quick because if you don't get it, it's just kind of like, whatever, I'm going to just play the right notes. I don't really mm-hmm. care about how this chord lines up. And so I think to have had that experience and to make that, that it was profitable for me when I got to college, it helped some nights when I was looking at the book like, what? How did they, what, why does this work? Why do I need to know that? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's how it worked for me. Well, and Livy, how... How frustrating was it for you when you had music educators that would then be like, oh, I don't need this? <laughs> be nice. Be nice, please. Be nice. That was always a fun conversation when you would have other educators saying that um, all that mattered was what's on the page and they didn't need to know why it was happening or, you know, any thought process behind it. It's like, oh, no, just literally what's on the page is fine. And I'm like, well, that could cause problems down the road, but you do you. It's fine. <laughs> just it might be harder to problem solve i don't know well and 
so when I went to undergrad or when I went to graduate school, because Livy went straight from undergrad. So I got a year of teaching. And so, I mean, I was teaching kind of like Justin is where it's middle school and then high school for parts of the day. And so my sixth grade low brass class was the best because what, you know, it was like, okay, you guys sing your part, move your slides while you sing your part, like say the right rhythm say. And so they were starting to audiate and do some of these things. And so we had done it three times correctly before I ever got them to play whatever exercise it was. And then we would play the exercise. Mm. It was right. And it was like, all right, let's move on to the next one. You know? And so for me, right. it was like, no, 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 guys, you're missing some very important, like singing and other things because, you know, while I'm saying like, okay, this is where E flat is. I'm not telling the kids to sing because anytime you tell kids to sing, they start to freak out for some reason. But if you say, yeah. just say it and you model it, like, you know, 12 year olds don't know any better. They end up just doing it naturally. And then you can get them singing on pitch and so forth. Low brass, like you're already winning half the battle if they're just singing the notes. Eric, what about you? Did you feel like um, when you got to college that the music theory they were teaching was really relating to the music that you listened to and that you identified with? Because what I was hearing with Justin was there was enough of an overlap of I have these skills. I don't know how they're related to the thing that they're telling me. And then he kind of put the pieces together. Was that a similar situation yeah. for you? Nah, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, you know, I, I, I did. I'm a, you know, I, I, I could say I'm, I'm a person of integrity, especially with my elders and teachers, and and whether that's a cultural tendency within Latino communities uh, that you don't, you don't question the teacher, you don't question the professor. That's that. Um, and so I have since learned to be critical of anything that's being taught to me. Uh, but at, you know, at that age, especially I was there to get an A, uh, and try to do the best that I can given the instruction that was being given to me. So I just followed suit I figured this is what you do. And, you know, when you're an undergrad and you study music. Um, but I also knew I was like, when am I, I would question because I was that kid. When am I really going to use this? When mm -hmm. is this going to be? applicable and when would it have been applicable during my time as a high school student or middle school student and I could not see the connection um, and so I went through the four theories I went through the analysis and all those things and we used all the traditional traditional Western European models of teaching anything related to theory um, so the only time that I got anything culturally relevant was in the programming in the marching band, which most, most HBCUs will program contemporary or relevant music that's even popular and current on the radio. So mm -hmm. I think that's where I got a little bit of like, okay, cool. Uh, I, I got something. And where <laughs> in, in theory, I was that kid where I can remember like uh, box few G, little G minor, I would always be like putting a beat behind it. Don't do that, Eric. That's not right. You know, and I would, and so in my head, I'm doing the beat. And I'm like, why hasn't anybody done that? Like, that'd be a dope like mashup, you know? And I would, it, because I was, My graduate advisor just heard you and busted the door. He's coming through the wall. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I was that kid that on the weekends, I'm DJing at the club. So this was my life and I was bringing that experience. And I'm like, why hasn't anybody dubbed this? Like, this is dope. Like, you know, and <laughs> but 
nobody wanted to hear that, like you said. It was like sit and get uh, and get an A and make sure that everything that you have on that paper is correct. So um, most recently, uh, because I am serving Prayer View now as an assistant director, my one of my colleagues, which was our professor, Dr. Cornelius, texts me and he's like, how do we change this? How do we make our classes more relevant? And I was like, it's, it starts with asking that question. And I was like, you have control over the curriculum that's taught. Am I right? He said, yep. He said, I'm glad you said that. Me and our other colleague have already discussed that in analysis, we're going to implement non-Western music. Just that simple notion of saying mm -hmm. it could be as simple as, hey, let's do a survey. What's a, a song that you absolutely love? What's something relevant to your family, your community? And let's bring it in and let's break it apart and let's go through it together. I think that even and it doesn't have to be an entire course. It could be right. part of your the curriculum. It could be a it could yeah. be one or two a lesson. So I I'm blessed that I got that and I and it was you know I, I guess you could say it was enough to get me through what I needed. Uh, but I still relied heavily more on my jazz theory education than mm -hmm. I did anything else um, mm -hmm. because I didn't see much relevance uh, with the 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 classical for lack of better terms approach even though that when I was finally tuning just chords in wind ensemble and in marching band, I'm, I'm thinking of the third, I'm thinking of, okay, what's, what's the temperament there? Let's bring you guys down. And, and, but even then that those are simple things that I can print out a PDF and say, here, yeah. here's the solution to that. Right. But your job would just be to identify what scale degree lands on in the chord. But for me, it would, I, I can't say that there was anything really relevant. Um, they never talked about anything, um, relating to music that I listened to at home for the majority of the part of the time. There was no Latino music or structure like that. I actually gave presentations as an undergrad on the history of, of mariachi music and, and cumbia. Um, so I, I was yearning for some of that, um, yeah. but I also mm -hmm. recognize that there's hardly any of that in the country. Um, and so that it's, it's a, I'm not against it, but now I'm critical of it. If if it right, if it makes sense, right. it's uh, mm -hmm. because Justin and I kind of repeat this that we are not against the system that created us. Yeah, you know mm -hmm. what I mean. But yeah. rather, we see things that can be expanded and augmented right. to create more opportunities. Because going through that system could or did some students, like Justin mentioned, did they drop out? Yeah. Did they just give up? Did they think mm -hmm. they were not worthy of entering that space simply because it, you know, they really couldn't relate to it? For me, it was one of those. I'm gonna just get it done because I, I need to get this. Yeah, a. I gotta get to where you know I mean? <laughs> and, and I'm gonna get this degree, even though I would get through the course and still question its relevancy uh, to what I was currently doing and what I would be doing as a band director. Mm -hmm. That kind of gets into what I wanted to ask about. Even even just mo mostly, not mostly for me, but like I, I think I'm an example of this question. And I'll, I'll explain what I mean. Like growing up, I also played a bunch of music in church, although it sounds like mine and Justin's <laughs> church backgrounds might have been a little bit different. Um, yeah, you played piano. He played drums. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the, that's the main thing. That's the primary one. But, you know, my the the accompanist, the pianist at our church taught piano lessons. So I, I took with her. And so I was yeah. playing stuff out of the Baptist hymnal, but like just right. four part harmony, like right. no extended triads, no fun stuff like that. Yeah. And I was learning classical music. And then yeah. when I got to... When I got to undergrad, I went to a small Christian school and I mostly just taught, was taught very traditional theory, very traditional. I got like a church music degree, but it was still mostly like either the hymnal or like, <laughs> like white Christian radio stuff, like, right. you know, those, the, that sort of stuff. And then I got to graduate school 
And again, I, I learned, I took all the theory classes, you know, I wrote the thesis, I did all that, but sort of my point is like all of that was inside of that very normal standard mainstream system that, that all of the music is coming from right now. And so like, you know, I, I can recognize the, the need for diversity and I want to be more inclusive and like, I want to do better about that as somebody who I guess only experienced it that one way, what are the steps that people can take who've only learned it the one way to sort of like expand and branch out? Like you, you talked about in, in, uh, increasing like the repertoire, but like what are some other things that people who only learned it in this one system but want to do better, what steps should should we be taking in that regards? Does that so make I, sense? Yeah, no, I think uh, for me, I think it's always kind of like trying to work backwards. So like, in class, we learn fairly close to what you're talking about in terms of part writing and the hymns and how it played into, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the classical age and all that kind of stuff. I think what I did, because I had that connection with my professor, because I was obviously plugged into another world, I had to pull that and then insert it into these other things and figure out, okay, how does this work here? How does this work here? And I think those teachers and those people that are in those seats and teaching those things have to then do that. They have to kind of have mm-hmm. these conversations with students, kind of be tapped into culture to a certain extent to kind of see, okay, what can I pull from here that I'm seeing in pop culture, musically, um, mu- you know, from a, from a uh, you know, what's top 20 or, you know, on the billboard charts. And then what is apparent in the students that I teach that I can do some time, do some studying and starting to draw comparisons and acknowledge, okay, in this culture and in, in this uh, uh, origin of music from this part of the world, these, thing, these two things are very similar. And this is how this would play out here, much like how it would play out here, which is kind of what I had to do. It's, mm-hmm. it's almost like a trial and error, if that makes sense. You know what I'm saying? Like um, it, everything, and I like what Eric said, like we're not asking, and I don't think anybody on here is asking us to, break down and tear down the system. I just think it would draw in more and, and give more credence to people if we add on, right? It would right. Be, we, and, right. We, and they talk about that. In theory, they talked about how different composers and different movements in music, whether it be classical, whether it be in the jazz era, where different people came to the table and said, I like the way this chord is being played, but what if I ornament it like that, right? Mm-hmm. And then it became standard and it just became right. like, this is what we do. And so I think we we miss that as educators that we are, you know, gatekeepers. We can add or take away whatever we mm-hmm. want to do. And so I think the more that teachers are, because I think sometimes we get pigeonholed. I know as a band director, especially in Texas, hey, this is the way it's always been done. We ain't mm-hmm. we ain't doing nothing different. You going eight to five. You going to dut. You going to do this. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like it's just it's what's always been done and i think that that's fine because we need discipline and we need a foundation but i think as with anything the house can always be remodeled you know what i'm saying to welcome Mm -hmm. in more people so i just think that the more we pay attention to what's happening musically and culture that's gonna because let's be honest the next generation of educators music educators music performers and composers are are not going to be kids that came through the traditional way of learning a lot of these kids are learning via YouTube. They're learning via apps. They're teaching themselves. They're in these different 
kind of markets of making music and they like classical they pull from mm-hmm. it they listen to these things they may play you know uh, cello or they may play classical piano but they're also dibbling in this and i think we can't uh x that out i think those professors those educators need to be in the culture to an extent and then tap into their classrooms and see what music is already here like i'm teaching mm-hmm. you something but there's music already in this room so yeah that's what yeah. I, that's yeah. what i would say just I'll add on to that real quick. I feel like um, just one thing that kind of ties into a topic that comes up pretty often on the score, which is uh, y'all just talk a lot about listening to your kids, like just talk to them, see where they're at and all this stuff. And, you know, it's a different experience when you get to teach at the collegiate level. You're not around them as much. You know, you're not as highly involved if they're just in your one theory class. But even then, because um, one of the roadblocks that Adam, Seth and I, ran into um, as GAs is that we were given a curriculum. So we had, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we had, um, you know, our supervising teacher was uh, very generous in letting us approach it in the way that was comfortable to us, but we had to stick to a curriculum because every student had to take the same test. And so they had to be able yeah. to pass that test. And, and but, there was flexibility to the approach until like yes. a batch of grades came back that was not so was not and so then high. your <laughs> approach was evaluated and uh, right. criticized yeah. but um <laughs> then we had to go back to, to what it gets. yeah <laughs> yeah and and so when you're kind of you're given a curriculum and granted it was a great curriculum i love it i would choose to use it again but um it was great it, for what it was teaching exactly and yeah. but you know we each have different classes and you know maybe it doesn't align exactly with the way you would sequence things or whatever but given that curriculum um figuring out how to approach it with your given students, for me at least, it took me kind of a couple semesters to really realize just how much easier it makes it if you just, after like you play one thing, you ask a handful of students for feedback on it, like, how'd you hear that? How'd you hear that? How'd you hear that? Because then you can figure out that, you know, they hear it in relation to this one thing that resonates with four other students. And then you can use that in a class later on down the road and whatnot. And you know how to approach a specific student like, Oh, I learned by talking to him that he's a jazz, you know, guitarist or whatever it is. And he's always going to hear it in relation to this. So if I can play examples that have that, that work for him and just the amount that just kind of peeing into what your students need just helps yeah. so much than trying to just yeah. teach it the one way that you learned it, which was hard for me because I I, ca- I caught on to the theory stuff quick because I like math and, you know, like uh, formulas and stuff, but that is not how most of my like ear training students learned it. And so I had to figure out what worked for them. Right? No, it's not for most people. And so I had to ask them because I was never going to just figure it out. Yeah, and right. it just made it so much easier if you just listen to your students, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, because I think you force people to learn the way you learn, and that's mm-hmm. yeah, that's the that's that, the that's hard my part. biggest weakness for sure. It's yeah, like that's, and, that's what I struggle with the most. And I can be transparent and say it's been that for me at times, even in in terms of being a percussionist. And Eric helped me with this early on, because a lot of things came very natural to me <laughs> in terms of playing and just kind of getting it. Like early, on, I was like, "What? What is hard? Like it's sixteenth notes, man." <laughs> yeah. Just play it. Just you don't feel you don't feel how it just feels. You know what I'm saying? And Eric was like, Yeah, so he's he's twelve. So that's just not gonna <laughs> And that kid would have like a glazed look on his face, just like, I'm like I, I really don't I'm care. like, what it's four of them and I and you know, I'm I, 
Because I've never been the, I had to learn how to be the very technical and break down guy. I was mm -hmm. feel, and I was like, hey, you cut the metronome on, you just kind of, and I used to always be like, you you see how this kind of fits on one? One end, see how that, and I'm dancing. It's just super mm -hmm. like, yeah, yeah. like, yeah, mm, got, you know what I'm saying? And so <laughs> I always compare it to like the guy, that, the jazz band guy that doesn't really want to teach the theory. He's just like, yeah, so I'm, I did this gig with Miles and we did this hit, man. And so, <laughs> Right off the top, man. It's just bop, beat, bop, do, bop. And everybody's like, what? what? What are we doing right now? You know what I'm saying? And so, so when I hear you say that um, about, you know, math and, and formulas and numbers click to you, that just brings back the early Justin. When I was just mm -hmm. like, yeah, you just got to feel it. Because I'm thinking yeah. church. I'm thinking Sunday morning. I'm thinking yeah, yeah, I yeah. listen to this album. I It just feels good. I know mm -hmm. how to make it sound right. And I had to take a step back and be like, okay. This student is very analytical. This student thrives off field. This student is thriving off communication. Every time I use an illustration, this kid gets it. And mm -hmm. so I just had to have a, 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 a pot of just different items to use. And yep. once I learned that, it actually, I was able to get back to who I was as a, as a musician because they learned it. They built the foundation. I was like, now it's about the field. It's about the confidence that you're mm -hmm. once you play this. So, no, I, I man. You're gonna find yourself in a at a dead end every time, man. I, just, <laughs> I laugh at those early years. When I was a grad assistant, I for what, for whatever reason, my biggest struggle has always been rhythm. I just can't 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 grab it. It's just not what comes naturally to me. But like harmony, I get. I can hear it. I can figure it out. Mm -hmm. it works for me. So when I was teaching ear training classes in, in grad school, um, I would play like a dictation. And like, you know, I, I wouldn't get frustrated and be like, come on, you know, we, we can get this, we can figure this out. And right. some of the percussion students would be like, are you sure it wasn't like this? <laughs> and I go back and look at it and I'm like, yeah, it actually was a lot closer. You're right. He had no idea what any of the notes were. <laughs> right. But he could right. tell that I had played it incorrectly just based yeah. off of listening to the dictator. It was like, all right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Well, hey, man, I, w I wanted to jump in on that a little bit on the question you asked about how can we learn a little bit more or mm -hmm. how can we throw things in our tool box if you will yeah uh, what comes to mind is just being open to new experiences uh, mm -hmm. i recently listened to uh, we promoted um the uh a podcast on our social media today and i listened to dr william lake who i gave a shout out as well and he was talking about people who play come sunday from omar thomas uh and and for some it being a fad now it's like okay he's you know, he, he won the Ravelli Award, a couple, you know, what, two years ago for his composition. And so everybody's doing Come Sunday now, you know, and it represents the black church. Uh, but if you're playing that piece and you yourself have never been in a black church or mm -hmm. experienced the black church experience, then why not? If you play another popular composer, but you research all his other pieces and the approach to way how you would play that, why would you not give that same attention to level of detail if you're conductor and programming music to something that might not be as traditional uh, on the stage? So if you say, well, they might look at me weird if I go into a, a, a black church, okay, mm -hmm. then get on YouTube. But even then, why wouldn't you want to be willing to sit with that discomfort? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's and that for me, in the back of your mind might be feeling it's going to be a little uncomfortable. Well, will they look at me weird? Or if I want to teach this mariachi piece, will this, will, if I want to teach Wapango, can I go see a, a mariachi play Wapango? Can I, you know what I mean? Like, can I hear some of those influences? Mm -hmm. And so I think now is better than ever, given the technology that we have, is to experiencing, to experience these specific things and or 
talk to these specific people that have either yeah, composed yeah. them or have lived through these experiences. Because I've seen it more times than not, especially during the pandemic, that you hit somebody up and say, hey, can we chat? Can I pick your brain a little bit? You know, I got some questions and more than likely they're going to be like, yeah, cool, man. Let me put you on my calendar. I think that's what's going to be helping us uh, during this virtual transition. And instead of people, we've talked about this as well, but instead of people looking at this as a detriment, now we can use a lot of the things that we did in virtual teaching to enhance our in-classroom experience, to mm. take away sometimes yeah. some things that didn't require our time yeah. in face-to-face -face and transfer that to a virtual component that can give us more time to, like Libby talked about, let me find out where this kid figures this mm -hmm. thing out. Where like, mm -hmm. for example, you know how we, the the, the, the old school, uh, a minor second is Jaws. You know, a mm -hmm. perfect fourth is the wedding, the march. So <laughs> let me ask y'all this, because I want to know, oh, let's say five to one. What do you relate that to? So do. <laughs> okay, so fish. Yeah. Which direction are you, are you going? Let's go five and up to one. Five up to one. Uh, yeah. I just hear it as Soto. Okay, Livy. Yep, just singing arpeggios. I just hear oh, it as man. the last two <laughs> notes singing in arpeggio. And Justin, they've We're been indoctrinated. TV. They've been indoctrinated. Yeah. Uh, I hear it in church. I, I, it's the end of a song. We got this whole formata. Boom. You know what I'm saying? And boom, we resting on the one. That's the way I hear it. I visually see it in my head. Can I change mine? Not change, but, but say <laughs> yeah. just lately, yeah. lately, it's been the Mandalorian theme song. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Because okay. okay. yeah. I've, I've been listening to that a lot. Uh, I mean, I watched it recently, and then I've had a bunch of students. I teach private piano lessons. That's what I do right now. Um, and I've had a bunch of students ask to learn it. And so I've been looking at it, and it's like, oh, yeah, it's just the, the, it's a fourth, you know? And for me, it's the end of a lot of mariachi songs. Mm -hmm. um, ba -ba -da -ba -dum, Mm, why, mm -hmm. Like, why wouldn't anybody relate that to me? Like, why didn't anybody mm -hmm. connect that for me? And yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Because mm -hmm. I literally have every song ends like any ranchera ends like that. Dum, yeah. bum, bum, you know, and so for me, I'm thinking, why was that part of my music mm -hmm. ever brought into that? So where when I was completing some doctorate classes uh, at a university, I went up to the music history professor who was talking about the masses. And I said, hey, can you give me some insight on the mariachi mass? I don't know anything about that. I don't even know that that exists. And, it, and like with this face of disgust, like, like how dare you ask me? You know, yeah. and I'm looking at the math. Like, like, Those two words don't go together. Yeah, and I'm thinking to myself, like, like, what the hell? Like, you, you, this is, you have a doctorate in this stuff. Why would you? <laughs> and even if you don't know, do just you know a little bit, that? at least yeah. something. Right. Why would yeah. you give me some? Like, here's somebody that can connect you with that. So I, I grew this level of frustration with that because I was like. You are reaching this level of mastery, you know, the pinnacle, if you will, in this field. Mm -hmm. And my experience, my my wedding had the mariachi mass, and I never knew the order, the history, the, the, the this whole thing. I want to go find it out on my own. You get what I'm saying? And so mm -hmm. these are things that are missing from academia, from our learning experiences. And even if you don't know, and I think we've all said this, you should at least know where to get the information. A yeah. smart person knows how to get to yeah. the answer, not necessarily know mm -hmm. the answer. And so I think even just bringing in people's experience. Yeah, I was just about to say that. Yeah, yeah. Just bringing it in. Like, I love that she said that because it was literally, how do you recognize this? Right. When you hear, you know, when I hear a C7, straight to a blues. I think of already like, if anything dominant, I'm thinking of blues. I, it already mm -hmm. gives me those a good eight measures of those 12 of a 12 bar mm -hmm. blues are going to be a dominant form. So I gravitate to that because that's my lived experience. So I hear that. 
And so the mm-hmm. same thing with other people, you have to just say, like, how do you hear this? And so yeah. I've been lucky enough that the past two years, I've been working with a lot of Bahamian students. Prayer mm-hmm. View recruits a lot of students mm-hmm. from the Bahamas. And I mean, when they put me out to Junkanoo, if y'all have never heard about that, mm-hmm. I mean, just the whole experience was in itself was amazing. And then I hear how they play and they, and, he, and it was funny because you could tell their hesitance to want to share their culture with me because they mm-hmm. thought you're going to judge me with the Western clear, uh, classical like lens. You're going to think of yeah. it this way. And they're like, hey, prof, uh, just to let you know, uh, we play different and we play mm-hmm. loud and we play with energy and it's not going to be in tune. And and just, they were like prefacing all of these statements to like qualify, just sharing something very valuable to them. Yeah. I think we're really in a key spot where y'all, for example, that you were of integrity, you had to also pass your graduate studies and, <laughs> and you, if you are a GA, you are told what to do and you have to do it and even mm-hmm. though you're going through it and you're like oh, this is questionable or uh i might have not done it this way and i think all of us have gone through those specific experiences that have led us to transform our teaching practices and i myself this year is not the same way i taught last year and so i hope to continue to be that person that allows mm-hmm. me but i've always been that person though and i and i i, I love working with justin because we always put the kid at the center we always did. I mean, we got lost in the sauce sometimes and trying to get that first division. We know when competition <laughs> came around, but it was always go back to the kid, go back yeah. to the kid. What mm-hmm. do they need? And if we saw ourselves slipping, we would check each other. Like we For need sure. to go home. We need, yeah. we, we're, we're done. We're taking it out on them. Like yep. they, they don't deserve this. Yeah, yeah. So I think opening up the space for both the conversation to be facilitated by the students and with the students and sharing those lived experiences and putting yourself in to whatever. Uh, going to a concert, going to a jam session, going and involving yourself and submerging yourself to that experience will allow us to go back and say, hmm, I love that I can bring this to the table. I can yeah. bring this to the thought process. I can approach teaching this this way. And it, and it might be, you know, what you love doing because uh, I, Justin said it, salsa, um, and I'm just curious if y'all know this, but do y'all know the origin of the term salsa to the genre of music? No, I don't. No. So, you know, salsa, mm-hmm. that term was actually specifically created in the 1970s around there in New York, even though music of that sort or of that genre was already being performed in the Caribbean, whether, mm-hmm. you know, Puerto Rico, Cuba or Dominican Republic. But it was musicians who came up and went up to the coast and shared the stage with jazz mm-hmm. musicians. So that's why mm-hmm. you hear oftentimes being called Latin jazz. And so I, there's a video out there, but Tito Puente, who is a U.S. citizen, went to Juilliard, has, has been openly saying, like, they don't call my stuff salsa, because that's not what it is. But mm-hmm. people credit the term it being a mix of ingredients, just the same way like chips and salsa. The salsa is a mix of ingredients bringing jazz mm-hmm. and the Latin component, which was guaguancó, which was rumba, which was uh, even then could be consi- could be and are black art forms from the, you know, uh, black immigrants who migrated to the Caribbean. Aspera. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Everything about that was all a mixture of experiences, of identities, of people, of lived experiences, and they created this mixture called salsa. So in the New York, it's the 1970s, you had jazz musicians going on and playing with Spanish speakers and et cetera, that, hence where the most famous, of course, you can think of Dizzy Gillespie and Arturo Sandoval, but Arturo Sandoval was like hardcore jazzer. But... <laughs> 
other people, you know, uh, Eddie Sandoval and just people that find your all-stars that shared that. So I think that is a prime example of what could happen and has continued to happen with so many other genres, with hip hop, with R&B, with uh, Kirk Franklin just dropped a tiny desk video. Check that out. I mean, Sean yeah. Martin's <laughs> on the keys and you hear Jay the bass Baker, player. It's yeah, like, Matt, Matt on oh, it's, it's, you hear all these things and he credits the people that were before him but then he credits people like R&B artists. Yeah. And, and, and so it, this topic in itself brings out so much passion for me because I think I, not, I think I was limited in what I could do as a traditional band student because I mm -hmm. always wanted to be in mariachi. I always wanted to play conjunto music on my saxophone, but those, those experiences were not offered in my formal music education training. It was like stay in your lane. And so I worked so hard to create this identity as a band director that I diminished and I put to the side things that I've always wanted to do. So when I hear that, it's like, man, just do it. You know what I mean? Like, if, mm -hmm. you, if you want to do something like that, go ask somebody. Like, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but I think that's that's key for anybody listening is like, what are you willing to do? Because in the end, if you are truly an outstanding and a worthwhile teacher, you're thinking of your students, not yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if you know your students' music, you can because this was also nothing, the motivation to learn theory, because no, I won't say no one, but a lot of students have no motivation to learn theory. They just want to play, which I get. But finding the motivation, if you know their music, you can approach it as a skill rather mm -hmm. than a class. And it's like, well, if you're only playing, you know, um, X, Y or Z, whatever genre you're most interested in, and I'm only teaching you about Bach, then why would you care? You know, yeah. so if you can approach it as a skill that they can apply, which you you can guess, you can guess, oh, I think my students might be interested in this. So I'll go learn about it. But otherwise you could ask them what they're interested in and then just, you know, put forth a little bit of effort to find out about it so you can relate it to them because it even makes it easier on you. I was going to say, just to be a little selfish, if they're motivated to learn it, it makes your classroom a lot more pleasant, yeah, a lot to easier you. to teach. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I was wondering what, you know, is there a theory skill that you guys did that you want to implement more as you were either young educators or educators now? Given that I was also a GA and uh, for the doctorate that we are, I think we all can agree whether there's research to back it up or not, but the worst when it comes to sight singing are instrumentalists. Yes. <laughs> you know, you know, I mean, like, and so, I don't know. Sometimes it is singers. Like I'm just speaking from personal but, experience here. And, and, well, and I also, it, it was for I've me. Heard some bad stuff. Straight up, it. it was for me. And even oh, yeah, though, I was horrible. You know what I mean? I could carry a tune, but it was still like, uh, oh, no. you know. And bad. so I know for myself speaking, I would want my band singing a whole lot more. Mm -hmm. Just sing, just open your mouth, just hum. Um, because given that I finally was able to define audiate and it's to think musically, and we all do, we all do, but our system also with the elitism that's involved in it makes us feel like we are not allowed to or don't have permission to yet to perform at that certain level. So Victor Wooten, TED Talk, if you haven't seen it, about his whole music as a language thing, uh, where he grew up in a musical family, he didn't get taught the theory before sound. It was mm -hmm. always sound before theory. Yep. And I think going back to our original conversation of 
can we develop a an experience that makes whatever you're learning applicable right away mm -hmm. why are we getting it and not applying not it using it yeah why would what would that look like like justin said who's a smart guy and doing it on his own but there are some of our students that won't ever get the chance to connect those dots yep. until mm -hmm. somebody tells them like you know what you're doing here applies over here and i'm just fortunate enough that i had mentors that would call me on it and they knew how well i would develop my jazz bands and would say like well what would you tell your jazz band here i was like well let's syllabize and he's like why wouldn't you tell your wind ensemble to do that mm. You know, and so I was doing some of the same things my high school band director did, singing. I've I got a shout out to one of my friends, Chris Mosley. Uh, I've been able to go clinic his band the past two years, and he just got that took over that band program in Rosenberg, Texas. Uh, shout out to uh, Justin's hometown, uh, the great city. Yeah, you know, I went down city. there, and it was the first semester, and he's making them sing the chorale. And I was like, "Hey, that sounded pretty good." And he's like, "No, it didn't." You know, to me. He's like, no, it didn't. <laughs> He's like, it's nowhere near where I want it, you know? And and wow. I've had throughout my clinics the past couple of years, I've had several clinicians that come and just say, have them sing it and it's going to get better. Just have them sing it. And we would sing the chorale or sing the, the part that we were having issues with and it would instantly get better. I'm talking about mm -hmm. instantly. Dude, like We didn't address anything. It was like sing and then play and it got better. Mm -hmm. uh, so he did that. I went back the second semester and I mean some of the most beautiful singing in tune matching and then they played the chorale and i was like oh whoa that was that was amazing bro i said well, how often do you do this he's like every single day we mm -hmm. sing every single day and so one of the things that i've seen through my experience of auditioning students coming from different types of programs at the collegiate level that if i get one that's from a traditional uh, what i would call course style uil band method uh adjudicated system and their sweepstakes but that individual kid has a hard time sight reading individually or singing mm -hmm. individually. Mm -hmm. But if I get a kid, and this is more often than not, from a traditional historically black college style, show style school, they get so many charts thrown at them mm -hmm. that they're reading all the time. And a lot of the times it's being learned by ear. Mm -hmm. And so their ear is way more developed than the other student who is a sweepstakes band program and so I have both of these students coming to the table and they have two completely different skill sets and they usually join ensembles together and they realize that about each other. But I'm realizing it at the audition. So I myself would immediately, I mean, I'm talking about if I get in front of a, a, any type of band program right now, we're singing, even if it's singing a concert F, if we're tuning a no, you know, and it's mm -hmm. like, let's just do that. Because I think that in itself will immediately enhance our ears, enhance our understanding. Um, when you, I think even one of the questions you had sent us is like, how do you deal with individual musicianship versus the ensemble? How do you involve yourself in that? That turns your ears on more. That turns your, you know, your ability to listen and do more things uh, collectively because you can be more aware of how you fit within, uh, within the trio around you or your section and or the entire ensemble. So singing, Justin has like, I mean, he's a singer. If y'all don't know, he, you know, he's, he, he gets down, but I, I've always been very self-conscious of, of the way I sing. Uh, but I think that's something that again was imposed on this like self-conscious elitism that it was like, well, I'm not, I'm not on the stage singing. I'm not yeah. worthy of singing in front of others. And I think if we remove those barriers on ourselves as well of thinking, I'm not a good singer. I can't really, you know, right. my voice is not good. I think that's going to help our students even more. Well, mm -hmm. and before Justin, uh, 
hits us with his stuff. Like on that note, I, there was one student I had my first year of teaching uh, at the graduate level before Libby and Adam got there who like, you know, he, he had a fine voice, but every time he had an assessment or something, I made sure to tell him like, dude, you are the best because you do not mess around. You just go, I care about pitch. I do not care what I'm like. And you hit the pitch every single time. Like you are right there. And he was always like, all right. And of course he was a percussion <laughs> student. So that made it even better. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I think singing is great. I, I would definitely second that I, I'm doing, I do a lot of singing now, especially I've kind of moved from like Eric said, when I started working with him, we were able to kind of create the culture that every other district is doing in the state of Texas, which is having a percussion director kind of be the go-between. He is the bu- the bridge builder for getting those middle school kids ready for that big step into high school band. And so that's what I do now uh, in the new di- district that I'm in. I'm strictly the percussion director. Now, because I have headband directing experience and I've done all of that, um, I get to still touch those parts of you know, uh, uh, of being a band director that I miss at times. I miss sitting with, you know, beginner bone players or trumpet players and helping them learning embouchure and buzz and all that kind of stuff. But Mm -hmm. specifically in the percussion world, what I'm trying to do is something that I I learned early on, which was like understanding patterns within scales and arpeggios and just Mm -hmm. knowing what's coming next. And I think I'm trying to do what Eric is saying, which is bring in things from their world so a lot of times i talk with my students like what are y'all listening to like what and i'm I'm getting to the age now you know you're getting older when they bring up rappers names and music and you're like who is that I know that's <laughs> you find, and you literally find yourself being your parents like well you know back in my day and it's like i'm, I'm just <laughs> it's even already happening to me my yeah fellas, i'm just it's like so stressful i'm like who what who, who are you listening to and it's like youngness and uh-huh. this person so i build a playlist of these people that i listen to and I start trying to pull into their music. So right now with my percussionists at both campuses, we are with my middle school kids, we're working through all 12 major and minors for the seventh and eighth graders, but we're breaking it down into tetrachords and arpeggios, and we're trying to have that done. With my high school students, we're working all majors and minors this semester, 120 beats, more than two octaves, being able to fully run through those things without thinking, right? Because kids are, you know how it is, they play bum ba da 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 okay, I got it, bum ba da 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 and so forth, rather than me saying, we're going major, and I want you to push your brain to go straight into the minor scale. Just know, like, melodically, what are you going for? No note placement, target placement, as far as percussion pedagogy, but just knowing what should it sound like. And so I, I, I try to talk more in chords. I'm trying to introduce them more to seeing the bigger picture, not just seeing these little notes. Like when we're playing through some of their etudes or if we're working through the region music or, or if we're just working through excerpts to learn different technique, I'm like, okay, what is the key signature for this? It's this. Now, based off of this key signature, we're going to be able to tell if it's a major or minor, right? Like, let's just kind of see where we are. And they're playing in the notes. And I'm saying, these notes are outlining a minor chord. If you know that, then it automatically puts you in a place where you know exactly what to do. Mm-hmm. And I said, these chords, I want you to block the, the, the arpeggio that you just, this little run you just did. So we'll get the four mallets. These four notes. These four notes you just played in a 16-note pattern, this is the chord that's blocking. You know, some type of minor chord. I said, your ear is being engaged with this every day you walk in my class because you got your earpods in. And I know you're not listening to Bach or Handel. You know what I'm saying? Like you're listening. You're literally listening to 
dark music that has all of these polyrhythms and then these these arpeggios of of what you're what we're trying to play here so i'll pull up pieces that they're i'll, I'll pull pieces i'll pull up the music that they're listening to so i'll be like hey who are you listening to right now uh young boy whatever boom i pull it up we're listening to it i said what is the main idea of what you're hearing right now like is it a major formality or is it minor and so i got like one of the kids that i teach he's interested in making beats and he's I really want to get a laptop and make beats and all that good stuff. I'm like, cool. I said, but in order for you to create substance, you got to use what I'm teaching you here. So we'll listen to music. And he's like, well, that sounds that sounds dark. I was like, OK, cool. Listen to the whole phrase, though. Let's finish this phrase out. Oh, OK, yeah, it stays dark for the whole thing. And then we start getting into that. So I really want kids to understand patterns i think if they understand patterns more they can sight read better they can actually get through a piece of music without stopping every 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 other measure and being like oh what's next well no what's the pattern yeah. what what are you playing what are you outlining here oh i just play g uh, g natural a natural b flat i said where are we right now oh well that's the beginning of our g minor scale okay so naturally if you're just looking at this music even if i don't tell you what's next just kind of, can you hear what you would play next? Well, yeah, I would probably play C. All right, when we look at the music, all you're doing is arpeggiating the first degrees of the, you know, so just really getting them to see patterns better. And I, and I try to tell them really, really um, to be a great percussionist, the more you understand and get these patterns, the easier it is for you to put a piece of music together. Because now you're taking part in what's happening next. You're not necessarily guessing as much as you already know. Oh, okay, boom. It's just like, like I remember one time I, I, I I literally cut on the piano in my in my classroom and I played a song and I said, I'm going to figure out this song real quick, just based off of patterns. Like, I, I want to hear this. So it was like it was like C minor, F minor, G minor. I think it just kind of went through that. But of course, me doing that. And I said, I was able to figure out this whole song. This is this chord. This song that you love so much. Boom. These are the major chords. All they are doing are taking these three chords and arpeggiating these chords creating different melodic patterns within these three chords to create this whole composition. I was like, well, wow, that's crazy. I was like, yeah, if you just practice, you could, you too could be talented, but <laughs> this is why you're not. <laughs> this is why you're not. <laughs> and so just, just really trying to get them to see patterns, understand patterns. If you know the scales, if you know the key signatures, then what are these patterns and how do they play themselves out? Because a lot of times I'm looking at your music and I'm looking at it to learn it to teach it. I'm not looking at it to learn it to perform it. Mm. But I can read through it because I already know what's coming next because, mm -hmm. oh, this is this piece is in A flat. Okay. Boom. I already it it's eight it's eight tones here. <laughs> like we're not gonna get mm -hmm. too crazy. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So Yeah. That's that's one of the things that I'm trying to get them to see on the lower level. I mean, of course I would love for them to really be able to flesh out on chords and things like that, but you know, attention span and just really trying to get them. I think the other thing that we missed is sometimes, and I think I think Olivia touched on it. Sometimes we teach things that kids don't necessarily like. What do they really need it for right now? You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. yes, I'm teaching this because it's a part of the curriculum. Mm. But what could I like? If this is in the curriculum, what little small technique or skill can I take from that to help them overall? What they really don't need all of that. You know, like mm -hmm. I could sit here and teach them, you know, part writing, but for what you know what i'm saying like right. can yeah. i just help them see the patterns of you know how this works how does this work in this keyboard piece help them see the connection anytime you play a mallet piece in a, in a wind ensemble hey you you need to be listening out for clarinet flute 
alto sax. You need to be listening for those comparisons because you're mimicking or playing a A primed or a B primed off of an idea that they're already doing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's great. Have you um, done like teaching writ- uh, rhythmic patterns to like a foundation playlist? Uh, explain further. I don't really. So uh, one thing that I did with my fine arts classes the past two years was whenever I was teaching rhythm patterns. Yeah. So like, OK, we got four quarter notes. We got a mm-hmm. quarter note, two eighth notes and then two quarter notes, yeah. just different variations that I would give them eight different options. Mm-hmm. And then um, to help connect to them, I would just make a Spotify playlist of, oh, okay, okay, here's all of the songs that mm-hmm. I screened first and still approved of the, mm-hmm. like, you ain't talking bad about somebody's mama and right. this. Like, <laughs> um, Stuff that you don't have to get an email. Sir, we need to see you today. <laughs> uh, now, now I, I did, I missed a Bruno Mars song yesterday where he said sexy and I had a fourth, a fourth grader and be like, he said the S word. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, buddy, like, I'm sorry, Calm down. I, I should do better. Do I right. need to call home? Do I need to, I will call your mama right now and apologize. Do I need to? No, it's okay. All right. Thanks, man. <laughs> but oh. I, that's actually really dope. I, so I've done some of that, not in totality of what you've done. And now that you just said that you're, I'm literally writing that down because I want to mm. do that. But so I've taught rhythm to like my seventh and eighth graders. Mm-hmm. And I brought specific pieces that I know have those rhythms. And I've like looped a section of a song. And I said, okay, I'm going to play this section of the song. And then I want us to play the exact, like we may be working on like, like right now we're working on the dotted eight sixteenth rhythm. One, a two, a three. So I'll find something and then kind of loop that section of the song and have them play along with it to try to create that that muscle memory in it. But what you just said really kind of sparks my interest and I wanna Well, and so like if you're interested in that, one thing that I did was I tried to like guess, listen to like eight songs specifically, and then wrote my patterns mm-hmm. based on that and then asked the okay. kids okay, which one of these eight patterns fits that song best? So that like I had one rhythm that was like one and a two and three, four, which was like uh, Sunflower. So that then they could um, catch like, oh, this rhythm is in that song. And so I think uh, what Eric just said a second, or no, I Maybe it was you, Justin. I lost track. But, you know, <laughs> connecting it to them and like, how are they actually going to use that? Yeah. Is that, you know, I just wanted to increase their listening awareness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that if, you know, if they're listening to a bunch of hits that are really the same song again, mm-hmm. that, you know, hopefully their ear starts to tell them like, no, I want something a little more sophisticated. I want to branch yeah. out and find something new. Right. This song yep. just now, has Eric- triplets in it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now Eric did like early on. Me and Eric also taught at a middle school together. My first year of teaching, and I remember when he was engaging the beginner classes on tempo. Um, obviously, we all know the Met, and you highlight the downbeat on one, and we would do that to help them kind of get a sense of beat and have them really clap and feel. And so then there were days where he would just cut on different, like different rap tunes or, or different, you know, Latin Latin tunes, and we would allow the kids to say, okay, we're not going to help you find the beat. We want you to do it. So he, now they're expecting the metronome because this was something that we did weekly. Mm-hmm. So he'd be like, I'm going to set 
different tempo here. I want you to be able to find that. And so when he would like push play on the iPad and it was like <laughs> the hottest, they would be like, what, what is happening? In here? <laughs> no. And so we, I'm in the back of the car. Hey, sit down, find the beat and stop playing. <laughs> but it, it was, it was, um, it was so like mind blowing for me because the kids had already become accustomed to what we all come accustomed to. You know what I'm saying? So then when you hear, and they're like, okay. And they bob and they hit. So it just, it, it kind of cemented home what we were trying to do. Um, and so, yeah, I no, that's, that's really good, man. I, it was a, and then we, I mean, it was a culmination with still implementing traditional approaches. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and then one thing that we, and I still do, uh, we teach, we taught these mnemonics for common oh, rhythms. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, for example, four sixteenth notes would be suck it to me. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so then uh, we would do Broadway beat for anything like an eighth note followed by a quarter note followed by an eighth note. Broadway beat, Broadway beat. Uh, and then we did monster beat, but we would teach them like monster. So it'd be a dotted quarter followed by an eighth note. Uh, but then we would teach them. We would be like, okay, within this, what is a dot due to a note? It adds half yeah, the value. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. So if there's only two eighth notes in this quarter note, now this one, if I add a dot, it has what? Three, cool. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to clap and count and there'll be one and two. Okay, do it again. One and two. Okay, now I want you to only say one and yeah. hold it out until that yep. note ends. One, and you hear some people like, uh, and, and they would get like right. off track. And I was like, okay. Now we have another eighth note added to that. So that's the fourth eighth note. But, and I would tie them to show them the dotted quarter note. Then it'd be like, okay, one and. Okay, cool. Now put the word monster to it. Monster. Now do two of those. Monster, monster. And so then what I started doing with that, and this is all, again, stolen, but then enhanced through our system. Right. It was to to help with sight reading in the state of Texas. There's four keys you have to play in. F, B flat, E flat, and A flat. And so every day, and then if you got the heads up on what the key was, the piece was in, you know what I mean? Then <laughs> the Eric, I don't think that, that happens. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, <laughs> Eric, no. <laughs> and so you're drilling and killing and saying, and you, so I would honestly, they would have the sheet and it was kind of like bingo. And I'd be like, okay, concert F, monster beats, and then four beats in between. Okay, uh, I want upbeats on E flat, downbeats on A flat, you know, and just... And so they would have to think on the spot. They only had four beats or honestly like two to three after I told them what the instruction was. Mm -hmm. So our sight reading was always really, really good because these students Mm -hmm. had this really strong sense of command and they were assertive enough that they had enough experiences with common rhythms that were all on that same sight reading requirement. We picked them all from there and we just put mnemonics to them. So then my students who went off to college told me, he's like, you know, I still use those. Like I, I get in front of my chart and I just, I'm still, I'm saying socket to me in my head and I'm saying Broadway. Nobody's judging you, brother. You know what I mean? But it, but they have been some of my better readers. Yeah. These, yeah. these kids yeah. still use these tools because I think, you know, you hear the stories like, don't write in the counts on your music and I'm going to tear it up if you mm-hmm. do. You know, why are we, everybody learns different. And I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm bringing in that and i remember i had some students come observe me from they were undergrads when we were teaching at hamilton and i put a hip-hop beat instead of a metronome to do like warming up like concert f mm-hmm. whole notes mm-hmm. and people uh, were looking at me like why how dare you like why bad. would you do this, this i'm never coming back here to observe yeah. this is horrible but the students <laughs> loved it it's it's synchronized it's electronic it's not going to fluctuate you know like 
why would we not make it fun? <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like enjoy the process. Right. But I think we've taught rhythm really well, actually, for our, I, I credit that like we have our kids, because I think one of the things that I was taught by a mentor of mine was they don't know what good is. So right. you take them there. And at the mm -hmm. minute you tell them, hey, this is difficult, you've already put this mental block on both of y'all reaching them to success. So I got my start in my career teaching in an inner city, my, my former neighborhood where I was raised in, fourth and fifth grade summer band camp. And this man just took me under his wing. And this young lady who was in fourth grade ripped her concert B flat scale two octaves on clarinet. And I'm looking at her like, what? How did you just do that? And then he told me, he's like, hey, at lunch, uh, come talk to me. I was like, cool. He said, next time, don't make that face. And I was like, oh, but that was outstanding, sir. He's like, no, I didn't say it wasn't. But you gave it away that what she did was already like to the point that she doesn't have to work anymore when you know you both and I know that there's more to do. So take them there. They don't know what good is. So until then, so I've, I've always taken this very stoic approach in my teaching. I acknowledge progress. I acknowledge when they reach something, but I'm never that guy. That's like, whoa, man, that was outstanding. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm just, I'm not that guy. I'm just, I'm always like, cool, man. And I'll nod my head like an acknowledgement, like, mm, okay. I might do a little face, like a little stank face, just like, mm, I hear you. Yo, but the kids, though, <laughs> yeah. in my time of teaching, the kids come in and you know how you have students and they're so excited to show you that they finally grasp something like that you've mm -hmm. been teaching. And they come in like, I, I figured it out. And they play it and <laughs> they're done. And it's like they they feel like they've just like solved, you know, the cure for cancer. And Eric's like, <laughs> yeah, so the tempo was off in the last minute. <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> I, I appreciate the attempt, but let's let's be. Are you working with a metronome? Well, yeah. well, let's make are you are you subdividing your metronome? Because your beats are really running close. Together. I appreciate it. Uh, but let's work that, okay? <laughs> We're about to get started with rehearsal, so let's get to the field. I'll see you later. <laughs> Kid walks out, <laughs> and then we they close the door, and we both like, man, that was amazing. Did you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> so much better since the last time. So we have rehearsal. She's just, like you could just see it on her face. Like she can't wait to get home to like practice again. But she's just so so downtrodden. But you know, I had I had one tuba kid my first year who was he started on baritone, and then because of financial reasons he couldn't rent his baritone anymore. So it was like, yeah. cool, we got a school tuba. You go buy this hundred dollar mouthpiece. Like we got you, dude. Right. So then like. He could already play his B flat scale two octaves because mm. it was just like you already played the upper octave. And then, of course, he had four valves. So I taught him the low octave. And then, of course, he so the whole like second half of the year, he would come in and ask how to do something. And he'd go, oh, well, that's easy. I was like, oh, Lord, like, <laughs> <laughs> don't tell the other kids that things are easy. Like, it's not easy for everybody. <laughs> and that's the hard part, especially in like a beginner class. Mm -hmm. It sucks when and it doesn't suck. But you have those kids that you already see them like it's the first few weeks of beginner band. You're going through like the theoretical stuff and they're just like, Killing it. oh, Oh, and you see, like you watch, you're watching them, and you're seeing the light bulb go on. And you're just like, oh god! Here we go. <laughs> and then you see like three other kids sitting next to them, like, how did you, how did you get that four next to that three? And then you, you you're like, we go through the musical alphabet, and you're like, hey, how many letters are in the musical alphabet? And that student's like seven, and so you're going through A, B, C, and the kids, and then you got those four kids like H, I, no, what, no, it's seven, guys, it's seven. <laughs> Why are you? 
And then the instruments come out, and then this kid is coming into class like, yeah, so you were talking about, like, holding notes and not moving your armature. What is this? And they're playing with vibrato. What? Like, I didn't – what are you doing? <laughs> you got to call it. Hey, don't – like, can you kind of play dumb? Can you kind of play under just for, like, two more weeks? Two more weeks here. You got to – because then the other kids are like, his horn works better than mine's. No, it's, it's the operator. It's <laughs> neither here nor there. <laughs> Because that's beginning band, but that's also first semester theory in college. Right. Oh, of, like, yeah, I can you gotta, like, I can't answer your question about 12 tone right now, man. We're working <laughs> like meter. Like, I need you to just sit there. I'm sorry. And I'm not going to lie. Every, I'm not going to lie. I was in that theory class with those kids. I was like, yeah, doc. So I'm, I'm listening to this piece and I was analyzing <laughs> My piece, and I'm just like, dude, can we just make it through this unit? Like, I know. And you're not asking. You're torn because you're like, I, I love that you're interested, but but everybody else is still struggling (laughs) on like. So how did you get that chord to come together? And he's like, Oh yeah, hundred percent. I got it because I was using that chord last night and I was interchanging it with it. Like, what? Shut up. (laughs) Shut up. And they're the ones that really don't want to raise their hands either. You ask a question and immediately, it's a five. (laughs) Okay, thanks. The only guy, the only guy who did that in my undergrad theory, he was a transfer. He was older than all of us and he was always wrong. Also, (laughs) (laughs) you do get those. (laughs) We're like, we're starting like sophomore theory in. Our professor is like, yeah, and this this is something else. We'll we'll get to this in a couple of weeks or whatever. And the guy's like, ah, isn't this uh you know uh, an augmented <laughs> six of a such and such variety? And the professor's like, no, it's not actually. But thanks for the input. <laughs> uh, and he's like, well, that's how they taught it at my other school. And he's like, well, they taught it wrong. But I right. sure, I'd appreciate you stopped interrupting me. <laughs> Yeah, you got those kids in beginner classes too. They, they just say stuff like, "Yeah, my dad was showing me this song last night on." Uh, he uh-huh, used to uh-huh. first of all, and I told the guy, "I said, listen, I I'm glad that your dad was a novice drum set player, but please, <laughs> please, just just hey, just let me finish teaching you." Right, like y'all can go over ACDC fields all weekend, but like, can you count eighth notes? Can you do that for me by Monday? Can we get there? Yes. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> man, it's always those kids, man, and you feel bad because then the parents come and you meet them, and they they lead with the hey, yeah, my name's such and such. You know, I uh, I played drums in this uh this cover band for about eight years, and um, mm-hmm. I'm really glad that you're teaching my son. So we're we're already getting him covered on the drum set. So I'm like, sir, <laughs> your your son can't acknowledge what how many beats a half note gets. So let's uh huh uh huh just. <laughs> Let me do my job, sir. Let me do my job. And that's like for me teaching private piano lessons. And I, I don't teach myself. Like I don't have my oh. own studio. I teach through a business. And so like they come and they, they bring the kids. I can only imagine what you go through. Brother. They do all that scheduling and everything. So I just teach the lessons. The, the business yeah. handles all the scheduling and, and the payments and stuff like that, which is great. But right. it's still not like entirely independent. For, like they don't have a curriculum. So it's really up to what, whatever the student wants to do. But that means like I'll have right, a student right. come in and be like, I want to do this. It's like, buddy. You got years. Like, I don't know. <laughs> and, and you don't want to say that to a exactly, kid. Exactly. Exactly. Like, so they're coming in. They're like, yeah, I really want to. I want to play this piece by such and such. And you're looking at them like, we may not even be playing Mary Had a Little Lamb, brother. Yeah, exactly. I'm you. like, I'm on Muse score trying to find somebody else's version of like two notes at a time, Megalovania. Like, what, what are we doing now? You know? No, Adam, so, that's my that's my problem with one student I have that I teach um, Saturday mornings now uh-huh. is He's like, yeah, I want to learn Elton John songs. And it's like, well, 
there's either the really easy stuff that you don't want to play, right? Mm-hmm. Or there's the real stuff and you're not there yet. Right. So it's exactly. like, I guess exactly. we'll just run arpeggios for like a year because that's <laughs> exactly. what it is. Exactly. And so oh, like, man. I just, at this point, I've given up on like trying to find music for some of these kids and like I'm taking it and I'm doing like transcriptions for them of like making it super easy, but it's just so much more work. Exactly. Like, and and the, the, the hard part time. is, that is taking up your time, but every time you go to a lesson, you're like, you didn't, you didn't learn what we just was supposed to learn last week. Yeah, yeah. Why didn't you learn? Like, like, yeah. like you hear them playing it, and within the first few phrases, you're like, they didn't practice at yep. all. This is gonna be a wasted rehearsal. <laughs> I'm just, and now you're looking at the clock, like, how many times are we gonna play through this exercise before I need to go to the restroom or go walk in the hallway? Because this yeah. is. Just... Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the parents be like, "How are they doing?" And you're like. In your mind, you're like, y'all wasting y'all money. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. they should go learn how For to swim. Sure. Cause For at this sure. point, <laughs> and like, and I want to, in, in like that scenario, I want to be gracious. And like, I don't ever right, want to be right. mad at a student because they didn't practice. Sure. Cause like, they got life, they got stuff going on. They don't have no life, Adam. No. They don't have no, I mean, Adam, I tried that too. I'd well, be like, I guess, I guess what I'm, I guess what I mean is like, I don't want to end up being like the mean piano teacher that everybody talks about when they're growing up or whatever. Like, to but, slap how, with the but listen, stuff. that's the only way we learned, Adam. I mean, you are where you are because of that person. Well, like, that, I told, Eric had that same conversation. He was like, right. We was like, man, we can't be so hard. But we, like, if we just come in here and be like, oh, that was nice, they don't learn anything. No, no, I don't, I don't do that. I just mean like, <laughs> no, I don't, no, no, I don't I, get mad. Yeah. I don't want, you know, I'm not going to beat them nah. up or anything. But then yeah. it is like, you know, I had one student, we're, we're working on like this little primer sight reading book because yeah. she's just learning to read music. And like, right. we haven't even been able to make it to like a real song because it's been really hard for us just to practice enough to get out of this book. And then I was like, all right, so this semester, like, what are your, what do you want to work on? What are your goals? Let's set some goals. And she's like, I want right. to finish the green book. It's like, cool. She's not practiced a single day since the beginning <laughs> of the semester. And I told her like, I mean, it's fine. We can, if you want to get out of the green book, that's fine, but it's never going to happen at this point. Right. Like it's just not going to happen. I tell kids, cause I'm like, what did you do this weekend? What? Uh, well, I had to like walk my dog. I said, did, what time did you walk your dog? Well, <laughs> around like, like 10 o'clock. I was like, when did you end walking your dog? Oh, I didn't walk him for like 30 minutes. Okay. So why didn't you practice? Well, then we like, well, I had to eat dinner. I said, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> First off, let me ask this. And I, and, and I want to be very respectful. Do you have a job? Do you, do you work? No, <laughs> my parents work. You pay any bills at your house? No, 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 no. You have your own room? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you do most of the time on the weekends? Well, usually I just play video games. Aha! There it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wasted a weekend. And you you just sat here and tried to get, like, you thought I was born yesterday? You tried to hit me with, I had to walk my dog and eat dinner, and you didn't have time to practice a pad? Like, my favorite <laughs> My favorite is, well, my mom didn't remind me to practice. <laughs> and I'll, I'll do this, do this. Oh, is she in here? No. Oh, because it's not her piano lesson. Like, why don't, why don't... Well, it's her kids, piano lesson. She'll like, remember to practice. Oh my god! Kids come in and be like, "Oh, Mr. McLean, I forgot my, uh, I forgot my 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 practice pad at home." I was like, "You got socks on? Yeah. You brushed your teeth this morning? Yeah. You you put on underwear and pants? Yeah. So you you literally got up and got dressed and just didn't think to bring the things you need for school. Why? Well, I, I said, did you forget your math book? No, I got that. What about your Spanish textbook? No, that's in my backpack. So you just don't like me. That's where we are. No, I didn't say that. I said, well, you have every, you literally have everything for every other class. Did you bring a lunch? Well, yeah. You don't even have a teacher in that class, and you brought a lunch. <laughs> you didn't bring a pad? What are we doing? I was like, I just, I didn't think it was, I, I'm sorry. Go sit down. 
Go sit down. Man, my students don't know what they're in for Monday. I'm coming in mad. Man, you got to go in there. You got to crack that whip sometimes, Adam. They, then they got to know when they walk out of there like, I don't know what happened to Mr. Moffitt, but he had a plan. The parents going to be like, I don't know what you said, Adam, but they they learned Bach, Handel. They know that they, 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 they're pretty much ready to go. <laughs> the corporation is going to be like, we want to acknowledge Adam. He's the teacher of the month. I don't know what's happening. In his room, but he's amazing. Everybody oh, else man. take a take a page out of his book. But man, y'all know what it is as educators. We just kind of have to deal and figure it out. All right. Well, I mean, you guys have been more than gracious with your yeah, time. This, this was great, super man. Generous. I enjoyed this. You guys are awesome. Well, thank you. Um, so yeah, if you guys haven't already, please like the theory behind it, subscribe, retweet, all of those good things. And, and especially, please, yeah, for the score. I was going to say, go listen to the score, especially the music friends and educators that we have of ours. Like it, it's not just a band podcast. It is all music education. Like it will help you in every way. And Eric and Justin are both easy to reach out to so that if you have a question about like, you know, send them a tweet. I don't remember if you guys are on Facebook or not. Send them a message, you know. Send them an email, yeah, any of those things. On social media, anytime you reach out to the score, yeah, we're, we're pretty good at getting right back. We, you, Me and Eric usually split that work, and uh, we, we try to get back to people as quick as possible. So, All right. Thanks, guys. See you next time. <laughs>